Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. In today's special episode, we sat down with John Pelson, author of Wireless Wars, China's dangerous domination of 5G and how we're fighting back. He touches on the recent report that the U.S. is investigating Huawei, specifically why Huawei towers seem to be near nuclear and missile facilities, and why China is buying up farmland and why that matters. Let's dive in. John, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. Good to be here, Tiffany. So recently, Reuters came out with an exclusive saying that the Biden administration is starting to probe into Huawei and some of the dangers there. And uh, you have a book, right, called Wireless Wars, and you've been talking about this for a long time. So to begin, just briefly sum up to our viewers why this is such an important topic. Yeah, well, this, this is talking about 5G. Huawei and ZTE are Chinese companies that are by far the biggest manufacturers of this technology, wireless communications for next generation uh, cellular. And uh, one of the things I learned in writing the book was that uh, Huawei, who's never really been able to sell their cellular equipment into American companies like Verizon, AT&T, when they're building up a cell tower and building out a network, they put in equipment to, to run the network. Huawei couldn't really sell to them, but they had deployed in really remote rural areas, which I always assumed is because they just couldn't sell to the big companies. They sold to these small family-owned cellular carriers that go where, where the big carriers don't go. And I learned when I was researching the book that Huawei had put its cell towers around America's nuclear missile bases and Special Operations Command and nuclear sub-base. And it was clearly not a coincidence because they were not making any money on these deployments and there was no upside. They can't. They were selling to companies that had 20 or 30 cell towers. So they weren't going to step up and get another 500 or 1,000 towers. And it was clearly a, a political and military move that they were that they were doing to put their cell tower equipment right around our most secure locations in the country. And the Reuters report does note the reason they can't say who told them this is because it brings up these national security risks and it's an ongoing investigation. And the report also notes on top of, say, these nuclear sites, it's also next to missile airfields. So it just seems like right national security. So on that note, really what can be done then to make sure we're not giving the enemy our <laughs> vital information? Well, here's where you see the uh, the CCP uses America's culture against us, which is that we're a freewheeling country. If a local company wants to buy equipment from a Chinese manufacturer, they're free to do it. And that's at least been the case uh, in the past. Uh, the government banned federal employees from carrying a Huawei cell phone, but a rural company not only could deploy Huawei, but they could use a federal grant to put it in, which ironically is uh, funded through debt issues and treasury bills that are bought by the Chinese. Uh, one of the FBI sources that I talked to in, in writing the book said, I want to go to Beijing and give an award. I want to give a medal to the guy who came up with this. They get us three ways. We put in their equipment. We... Uh, pay for it from the federal government, then we borrow the money and, and issue bonds to China. So they're they're really working against us. And we're finally now standing up and saying, this is not safe to have nuclear missile bases and uh, now a drone base uh, being this close to Chinese equipment and, and a Chinese presence. The reason they put these locations in the middle of the country is because they don't want our enemies to be able to get close to them and see what's going on and hear what's going on. And a cell tower overlooking uh, a military base is a great way to know what's happening on that base. 
And so on that note, it seems when we talk about 5G, right, so there's these bills coming in where you do the rip and replace. And as you noted in your book, right, the 4G towers are still there because it was a like-by-like -like basis. So when it comes to these towers, is it that if you have the 4G from Huawei, for instance, then you, if you want 5G, you would still use Huawei? Or what about 6G? How does this all tie together? Yeah, so the way this works, right now the towers in the country, most of them are 4G. And um, what what um, happened is the Congress gave money to rip out the Huawei 4G equipment and replace it. They would pay these local companies for that expense. The problem is they said, we don't want to pay companies to upgrade to fancy new equipment. We just want to have them replace the old stuff that they have. And these companies said, well, we've got old 4G and everyone's going to 5G. Why would we tear it out and put in more 4G? It's just not being done like that anymore. And uh, and so what's happened is it's still Huawei equipment. More than a year later, it's still Huawei equipment looking down over our most sensitive military bases. And we're trying to figure out how to handle this uh, to get that stuff removed. And so even if it's older equipment, right, all these 4G Huawei equipment, what are some of the sensitive data they can obtain? Yeah, so if you make the equipment that goes into a cell tower, they're they're not Huawei's not running that network, but they made the equipment, and you never let your hands off of equipment when you install it, whether it's for Verizon or AT&T or whether it's for a rural, family-owned company like this. The company that built it has to keep an eye on it and make sure they're giving software updates. That if there's a service problem, they can look at the box itself and fix it remotely. You know, Huawei's not going to fly someone all the way across the world to fix a remote cell tower. So it's remotely controlled. And so when you have that, you can tell, even if you can't eavesdrop on what's being said over the connections, and that's a possibility, whether or not they can isn't clear. You can tell through something called metadata, you can tell who's there on the base that day. Who are they calling? So you know the numbers called in and out. You know who they text, you know where they are. You can tell the volume. You can see if there's a lot of activity going on. If you've got a Navy SEAL base and there's Huawei equipment around our Navy SEAL bases, and you see there's suddenly there's a surge of activity, and these senior people from the Pentagon are now on that SEAL base, because you can tell who's there. Remember that. You maybe can't, maybe can't hear what they're saying, but you say, why are these people at that base? A, a, a geopolitical rival or an enemy can say, we can tell that America is getting ready to do something. And you also have the possibility of saying, we're going to send a signal out here, and now that cell site's not going to work so well. The communications, the vast majority of military communications go over the public network, not over end-to-end -end Department of Defense networks. And so the person, the company running the equipment has the possibility of being able to deactivate it or throttle it, which in a time of crisis would be very damaging, very dangerous. So given all these risks, right, it's next to nuclear bases, missile silos, it's getting all our information, what steps really need to be implemented? It seems with this probe, if it's successful under the previous administration, Trump's policy, they would have kind of powers to ban all transactions and dealings with Huawei. But it seems like, right, there have been some steps taken, but we still have this 4G equipment. So what really needs to be done to make sure yeah. we're not giving our secrets away? So right now, you cannot import wireless Huawei gear into the country. FCC has banned that. Now, Huawei has gear all over the country, routers and servers and computers that are in hospitals and libraries and schools. For some reason, that's where they made their big market push. That equipment is still there. 
And last I've checked, there is no requirement even that it be removed. So the hospitals, schools, and libraries are fitted out, a lot of them, with Huawei gear. Uh, as far as the stuff that has been deployed, the wireless gear, there's finally rules saying you're going to have to take it out, but companies get extensions. And this is not in bad faith. These companies are saying we can rip it out tomorrow and none of our customers will have cell phone service. So there's an argument to be made that they need to be able to replace it with Nokia or Ericsson or, or Mavenir, a smaller company that's making replacement equipment. And, and they need to, to have the funding to do it because these small companies literally may not have the money to replace all their gear at once. You, you see other things though, and this is an important new topic, which is it's, uh, we have to recognize the intent. You know, you have this, this uh, Global Hawk drone base in Nebraska that China's putting a, a corn milling operation right on the border of it. Uh, and this is a company that says, we don't have any customers in that area. We've never built anything in the US. We have no food processing operations in the US, but we thought this area, it's actually in North Dakota, this area would be perfect for us to build out a massive technical operation. People say, well, you're barely 10 miles from the most sophisticated wireless drone communications center in the country. And the whole key to that drone base is intercepting the radio signals between the ground and the drone and the drone and the satellites. You can't do that from a thousand miles away. You can't do it even from a hundred. From 10 miles away, you can listen in. And this is extraordinary that China is now buying up farmland near those types of bases with other, what I would consider pretenses uh, for why they had to pick that location. I want to get to the farmland, but really quick on the note of, say, satellite and stuff. Elon Musk's Starlink satellites have been gaining a lot of buzz recently, and some have been speculating, is that a way to maybe compete with 5G cell towers? Can, say, these satellites compete, or do you still need these fiber ones in the ground? Yeah, so it's a, it's a great question. This has been kicked around for years, for decades, about using satellites as a cell phone tool. And, and for people that don't understand, when you pick up your cell phone, your smartphone, you're talking to a, a tower or a rooftop somewhere within, certainly within 10 or 15 miles, maybe within half a mile of, of wherever you are. That's how it works. And that tower is connected into the network through fiber optics. Uh, the idea of talking to a satellite directly from your cell phone, it's been done with sat phones. Now, these are phones that are 10 or $20 a minute. They're big, bulky devices. You could take them anywhere in the world and they're not really a consumer device. They're used by the military, by mining workers, ships. Uh, Elon Musk has come up with this really clever uh, Starlink. Now, in the near-term future, it's not gonna replace cellular because of the capacity. They can't handle 300 million Americans using that as their main way to, to download Netflix and to talk to each other and to do Zoom and Skype communications. Uh, so it's really, where it becomes interesting is it's highly secure. They've deployed them to the U to Ukraine, where they're being used. Uh, if they worry about the the cellular network being hacked or throttled, these Starlink systems can't be uh, penetrated nearly as as quickly. And they've done a great job at making them very secure. So for limited use, they're extremely effective. This is a great tool against any tyrannical government or any government that is uh, under duress. Here, uh, from an enemy. 
That was John Pelson, author of Wireless Wars, China's Dangerous Domination of 5G and How We're Fighting Back. And after the break, we hear more from him on why China is buying farmland in the U.S., where it's located and why it matters. That and more coming up in just a minute here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Next, we hear more from John Pelson, author of Wireless Wars, China's Dangerous Domination of 5G and How We're Fighting Back. Let's dive in. So going back to purchases, it seems Huawei has kind of scouted out where all these nuclear or like missile facilities are. But it seems China has the Chinese Communist Party has other ways too, right? A lot in the news recently is purchases, whether that's buildings. It seems China has spent over six billion dollars on U.S. purchases on buildings and also about a a billion on land. So as you touched on really briefly earlier, what's concerning about this? It seems where it's located. So where is that? Yeah, and and there's been so much uh, what I would call nonsense about the the complaints about this. The problem is not that China is buying up American farmland. They own, I think it's 0.04% of our farmland, uh, somewhere around there. In other words, it's it's, uh, inconsequential. It doesn't really matter. However, where they're buying some of it is the concern. When they when they put a corn milling facility on the border of one of our most sophisticated uh, drone bases, where uh, satellites can't tell you the, the radio signals, you have to be physically on site. And the reason the Air Force put this base out there at Grand Forks Air Force Base is because it's, it's not in a densely populated area where there can be activities going on that you're not aware of. There could be listening stations that you're not aware of. Anyone puts something out near Grand Forks, People in the area are going to notice it. You're not going to put up a building with inside radio equipment that people didn't notice going up. But if you're building $700 million worth of corn milling and processing, which is what the Chinese company supposedly wants to do, there's going to be every opportunity there to make this an eavesdropping site. And there was no credibility, in my opinion, to the story about why they had to pick that location, which they acknowledged isn't near their customers, is far north for where they would have otherwise put it, and is the only location they're going to have in the United States. They decided that North Dakota was a place to be. Speaking of that Grand Forks Air Force Base, it seems that one specifically is where all of the U.S. high-level intelligence passes through. I think one person previously mentioned it's like putting a uh, teacup under a waterfall. You're going to get some sort of data from that, right? So given, say, the fears with Huawei, now with these land purchases, where they are, what are the steps that need to be implemented to make sure we're not just giving all this away? Yeah, there's a... uh... There are various review processes that the government's had in place for years. One of them has the the acronym CFIUS, which is a board that's made up of the senior most people at the State Department, commerce, intelligence communities, I believe the Pentagon. And this is literally at the at the secretary level and assistant secretary level. They review business transactions involving uh, national security. They've never looked at land, as far as I know, never looked at land purchases as relevant. They look at buying companies. Uh, Chinese, I think Huawei tried to buy company uh, 
I think called 3Com, it was a networking data networking company, and it was blocked because they felt if they bought that they would have access to government uh, information, and so the government said you can't do it. They even make them unwind deals that have been done in the past. So that kind of scrutiny, that kind of a hurdle can be put in place to keep enemy countries or to keep uh, threats to our security from uh, from taking place. And and I think the, uh, the Department of Commerce, I think, has been very much on top of this right now. And uh, the intelligence community has been on top of it, saying, we're not going to let you buy this farmland in a, such a sensitive area, and we're tearing out the uh, the cell tower equipment that's near our, our bases and special operations command. And so from the individual perspective, say, even if they're using these gears, right, their cell towers happen to be Huawei and all their information is passing through them, and they're like, well, I'm not a classified, you know, I'm not a high-level official, I'm just an average Joe, what, does it matter that China has my data? Does it matter that China gets their data? How would you answer that? Yeah. Uh I'm, I'm not one for government uh, clamping down on individual liberty and personal behavior. Uh, there are times, however, where the government has to say, yeah, I know you'd like to sell your farm for $2.5 million to Fu Fung Group for corn milling, and it's your property. But uh, unless they ban it, it's going to happen. People are free to do as they want unless it's made against the law. And for national security, this is not business. You know, you have to ban the carriers from putting in Huawei equipment, because if you don't ban them, they're going to say, look, I've got shareholders. I've got to put in the best, cheapest equipment. And Huawei was effectively giving away its cell tower equipment. They were selling it so cheaply. FBI uh, section chief that I spoke to about this said that the other equipment vendors and the other companies are companies like Ericsson and Nokia. But the vendors said, if we tried to sell that equipment out to that carrier at the price that Huawei charged, we would the sun would run out of energy before we ever made our money back. There's just no business sense to it. So the government has to say, even if they want to give it away for free, you can't take it. You can't put it into your system. It's a matter of national security. So to make sure that steps are implemented, what would be the first part? Is it maybe recognizing that the Chinese regime is not a competitor, but rather an adversary? Or how would that play out? You know, so funny, we have seen China for 20 years since we took them into the World Trade Organization as a customer, a trading partner, a business competitor, like we see Germany or Japan or, or Korea. This is great. This makes us better. You know, when Germany and Japan kicked our butts in cars, our industry got hit, but we make better cars now. And we've got a thriving automobile industry even today. The, uh, the challenge here is... Um, that we have to recognize that China is not a trading partner. They're a geopolitical rival. I think they see us as an enemy, which is a, a frightening thought. We've never looked at them that way. We, we see the world in a, a liberal worldview that we all just want to get wealthier and healthier and happier. And it looks like under the Chinese Communist Party, the goal primarily is to get more powerful. And even if that means the people will be poorer or people will die or people will starve, if they can extend their power, they're willing to do it. And we have to realize that. As a government, I think we're starting to realize that we're working on different models here. We're not all just trying to get better off. They're trying to extend geopolitical power and hegemony over the rest of the world. Well, John, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you on the show. Thanks, Tiffany. Great being here. 
That was John Pelson, author of Wireless Wars, China's Dangerous Domination of 5G and How We're Fighting Back. Thanks for watching China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer, and see you soon.